Well, it'd be my joy if you would join me in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we will begin in verse 13 and go down to verse 25. And I'm excited today to be in God's Word because today we're going to look at the glorious good news of the gospel through Jesus and the story of Barabbas. We say here at Christ Fellowship, we say it a lot, and I believe it's true for us, is that we are as desperate for Jesus today as the day we first believed. That's true for every single person in here today, that we are as desperate for Jesus in this moment, this second, than we were the first day we cried out for Jesus. That's what marks us as a people. That's what marks us as a people. It's not that we're Republican or or Democrat. It's not that we're rich or poor, that we're black or white, that we're from the Congo or from the United States. It's not that we homeschool or we public school. It's not that we're rich or poor. It's that we're desperate for Jesus. We are desperate for Jesus, every single one of us. And I pray that God would make that good news fresh again to us this morning. That we would leave here today saying the good news of the gospel is truly good news to me. So let's read together from God's Word. It says this, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify Him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has He done? I have found in Him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release Him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask this morning that you would show us the good news of the gospel, that we would see, Lord, the sinlessness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, we would see our own hearts, our own rebellion, that we would see the sinfulness of ourselves. Lord, and in light of Jesus' sinlessness and our sinfulness, that we would be overwhelmed by the cross. That in our place, condemned, he stood and sealed our pardon with his blood. Lord, cause our hearts today to say 
Lord, to be overwhelmed and to shout, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's old news. You ever said that before? That's old news. Somebody tries to tell you something, tries to give you some new information, and you say, you know what, that's old news. They try to tell you about that breaking news, that headline that came across their news station. They tell you about a new store that's coming to town. I like to share that story a lot of time. They like to tell you about a sports score. Did you see Duke's score last yesterday. Did you see that? They try to tell you this news, and you say to them, you know what, that's, that's old news. I've heard it before. It's, it's nothing new. It's nothing that gets me excited. My wife says this to me all the time. I try to tell my wife some breaking news, some Good news, and my wife says, Lance, I think you forgot that I'm on Facebook. I think you forgot that I'm on Instagram, me being, you know, not on social media. I'm like, did you hear what happened? And Lance, that's old news. Well, sadly, that's sometimes what we say and sometimes what we feel about the gospel. The glorious good news of Jesus Christ dying for our sins. Sometimes it makes us yawn. The glorious resurrection that, that once made our hearts come alive. Now sometimes our hearts have grown cold. The gospel that, that once moved us to sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Has now just become old news. And my prayer this morning is that we don't need new news. We need old news made new again. We need the good news of the gospel to be good to our heart and good to our souls when it's become old to us. And that's my prayer. Lord, would you use this story, the story of Jesus and Barabbas to make the gospel good news again for our hearts. That's a, a prayer that you could be praying. Lord, I once sang amazing grace. I once was filled with joy. My heart came alive and Lord, may you do it again. Lord, would you do it again in my heart this morning? The first thing I want us to see in our passage is to see the sinlessness of Jesus. If we want the good news to become good again, we need to see the sinlessness of Jesus. This scene is really shocking when you grasp the gravity of what's happening. When you grasp the blindness of the people of Israel, it says here in verse 13, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. It's a picture of all of Israel is represented here. The, the priests, the rulers, all the people, they're here and their Messiah is on trial. Think about that 
all of Israel who have been waiting for their coming king stand united to condemn their king. The, the blindness of God's people is blinding. They stand united, stand together to condemn their king. In fact, if you look back in verse 2, there were three charges that they brought against Jesus. They said, one, that he has been misleading all of Israel. Two, that he's forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, to honor Caesar. And three, he says that he's the Christ. He's telling people he is the Messiah. He's calling himself a king. All these charges have been brought against Jesus, and yet all these charges have been proven false. Think about it. Jesus is not misleading Israel. Jesus is not leading them astray. Instead, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not forbidding them to give anything to Caesar. Instead, he tells them to pay taxes. He tells them to give tribute to Caesar. And Jesus is not just saying he is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the King the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's standing there right before them on trial. And yet, they're missing him. They're missing the Messiah that they've been waiting for. They're blind and they can't see his beauty. They can't see their king. The only one in the passage who seems to see and who wants all of us this morning to see is Pilate. This is, he wants people to see. He says it more than once. Behold and look. Look and see that Jesus is innocent. He's innocent. Look, three times he says in chapter 23, he makes it abundantly clear that this is true of Jesus. Back in verse 4, he says, I find no guilt in this man. No guilt. He is not guilty. In verses 14 and 15, he says it a second time. Behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. And finally, after they yell repeatedly, after their heart is enraged, crying, crucify, crucify him, Pilate gives one final plea in verse 22. Why? Listen to his heart. Why? What, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. It's so clear through this passage that Jesus is innocent. That Jesus is not guilty. In fact, Jesus is Quite the opposite of guilty. J Jesus is what Isaiah 6 says when, God, when, when Isaiah sees the glory of God filling the temple. Jesus is holy, holy, holy. Jesus is perfect. 
Jesus is righteous. Jesus is sinless in every way. Beautiful in every way. He is, behold, the Lamb of God. The spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of the Gospels tell us it's true. I mean, just read through the Gospels. A good exercise is just to take all four Gospels and just pray, God, show me who Jesus is. Show me what Jesus does. Show me what he says about himself. And just look at Jesus again and again. Because the Gospels show us. They tell us. Jesus is perfect in all his ways. He is sinless in everything that he said. Down to his deepest emotions, down to his thoughts and his motives, he is sinless. In one verse in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, this is in one verse of the Bible, Hebrews 7, 26, it says this about Jesus. He is holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners. Listen to that again. He's holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners. Jesus says about himself in John chapter 8, and Jesus never lies. Jesus says this, for I always do what is pleasing to him. Can you... Can you say that? Can, can you even imagine that? I always do what is pleasing to the Father. I always do. In every second, my thoughts are pure. In every moment, my ways, my, my motives are pure. Every second, every minute of the day, every day of my life, completely sinless, always pleasing to the Father in every way. When Pilate asked the crowd, what evil has he done? Has he done? It's silent. Did you notice it? They, they got nothing. They don't bring any new evidence to Pilate. There's no evidence to present. There's no sin skeletons in Jesus' closet that they're bringing out in this moment. And that's why his desire is for Jesus to go free. And I just pray today that, that Pilate is not the only one who sees Jesus clearly this morning. I pray this morning that we, by God's grace, by the power of his Holy Spirit, that we would see Jesus clearly this morning. God's word is drawing each and one of us to see the stunning sinlessness of Jesus Christ. The stunning sinlessness of Jesus who stands in silence. He's not trying to prove himself. He doesn't have to defend himself. His life defends himself. He's perfect in all his ways. And this passage is begging us to behold the breathtaking beauty of Jesus' righteousness. The breathtaking beauty 
of Jesus. Because if we miss the breathtaking beauty of Jesus, we will miss the beauty of the gospel. If you miss the breathtaking beauty of Jesus, you're going to miss the breathtaking beauty of the gospel. If we minimize the perfection of his life, we'll minimize how perfect his love was for us when he went to the cross. If we reduce his righteousness in our eyes, we'll also reduce his sacrifice in our eyes. Think about that. If you reduce the righteousness of Jesus, you'll reduce his sacrifice and you'll reduce the righteousness that was given to you that, that perfectly covers you in the sight of God. Brothers and sisters, see the stunning sinlessness of Jesus. But behold the breathtaking beauty of your king. Because all of Israel who were looking for a Savior, who had been praying for a Messiah, who had been longing for Him to come, all of Israel missed the beauty of Jesus on that day. But I pray today we would see it. That we would see the glory and the beauty of the sinlessness of Jesus. Second of all, I want us to see the sinfulness of Barabbas. The sinfulness of Barabbas. See, the Gospel of Matthew reminds us that it was the custom at that time for the governor to release a prisoner around the Passover. So every time this festival came around, it was a tradition for the Jewish people that the governor, the one who was in charge, was going to release a prisoner. So typically, who would this be? Who would be the person that they would ask for? Well, somebody that had been judged unjustly. Someone that all of Israel would think was not guilty. They were innocent. And so you would think that the person that would want to be released, that the person they would ask for would be Jesus. And that's what Pilate's thinking. So Pilate wants to release Jesus. But look at what happens instead. Because of the blindness of Israel. Look at what happens in verse 18. It says, but they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Release to us Barabbas. Every single person in the crowd that day would have known that name. Every single person standing there before Pilate would have known that name. And when the name Barabbas rang out in the sky that day, they all would have known exactly who everybody was talking about. The Gospel of Matthew. This is what the Gospel of Matthew says about Barabbas. It says, he is a notorious prisoner. Meaning this guy had a reputation. He had the reputation as a rebel. The Gospel of John says something different about him. The Gospel of John says he's a robber. That means part of his reputation is that he took something that did not belong to him. He, he takes from people what does not belong to him. 
And here Luke, in Luke chapter 23, look at verse 19. Luke wants to, to us to hear all his charges, wants us to hear all his criminal record, and this is what it says. A man, this is, he's a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. This man was, was known as an insurrectionist. He was known as someone who wanted to overthrow the government, government as, as a murderer. He had been responsible for taking someone's life. So, so maybe picture to us, who would be the worst person that could come to your mind? Picture to us somebody so notorious for his rebellion, so notorious for his sinfulness. Maybe it would be Hitler that would come to mind. Maybe it would be some kind of terrorist from 9-11. But, but who would be the first person that would come to your heart and mind and picture that's probably the closest thing we can get to Barabbas? If this passage is trying to be abundantly clear about the stunning sinlessness of Jesus, it's being equally as clear about the sinfulness of Barabbas. Barabbas is sinful. He hasn't just made a couple mistakes. He, he didn't take a couple wrong turns in his life. No, he is sinful. The emphasis on the full. He is full of sin. He has a heart that's full of rebellion, a life that's full of rebellion. Listen, Barabbas didn't become a sinner because he sinned. I know Western's uh, psychology department might want to tell us that there's a, a blank slate that we're created, that we, we start in kind of a neutral state where we could, be, we could go more good or we could go more bad. It might depend on your environment or where, where you grew up. But, but the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Psalm 139 says that in iniquity was I created. Was I, in my inner, my, my mom's inner being, I was already sinful from birth. Barabbas was a sinner, and that's why he sinned. He, he is a rebel at heart, and that's why he rebelled. He is a murderer. He is a terrorist. And so our tendency when we read about Barabbas is not really to minimize Barabbas' sin. We read this and we're like, yeah, he's a sinner. He is a rebel. Our tendency is not to minimize Barabbas' sin. No, our tendency is to minimize our own sin. Our, our tendency is to say, I'm not as bad as him. We read this story about Barabbas, who's a robber, who's a, a murderer, who's a rebel, and we say, you know what? I am nothing like Barabbas. I would, I would never do any of those things. I would never be like that guy. We say things like, you know what? I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm, I'm a nice girl. I'm, you know what? I... 
I try to do as much good as I can. I've done a lot more good than I've done bad. And we think so highly of ourselves, more highly than we ought. You know, our hearts might even think foolishly this morning. I'm more like Jesus than I am like Barabbas. I'm more like Jesus than I am like Barabbas. But let me say clearly this morning, apart from Jesus, you're nothing like Jesus, and you are everything like Barabbas. Apart from Jesus, you are everything like Barabbas. Oh, listen, friend, you are Barabbas. The the story of Barabbas, the story that we're reading here this morning, is the story of you. It's your story. You are a robber. Maybe you've never robbed a bank, but, but every single person in here has robbed God of the glory that belongs to Him alone. Every person in here has stolen worship that belongs to the Lord. You are a, a rebel. Maybe you've never led a revolt against the government, but you have rebelled against Jesus being Lord. You have rebelled against Him ruling and reigning over your heart, over your life. And you are a murderer. Because Jesus shows us in, in the Sermon on the Mount that maybe you haven't killed anybody with your hands, but Every single one of us has killed someone with our hearts. Every single one of us has been filled with so much anger and so much rage that your heart has said, I wish you were dead. And Jesus calls that murder. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. You are guilty. You're worthy of God's wrath, His just wrath. You are just like Barabbas. Don't fool yourself this morning. Apart from Jesus, you are not like Jesus. You are everything like Barabbas. We do this all the time, right? We we minimize our personal sin. We make light of our personal sin. Or we compare ourselves to others. I'm not like Barabbas, or I'm not like that... That other mom that hangs out with me, I'm not like that guy at work. We even minimize what sin actually is. You know, some people define sin like this. They, they define sin as missing the mark. That's a lot of definitions you hear about sin. That sin is a target, and we try to hit the target, we try to be obedient, we just simply miss the mark. We just miss the the mark. However, sin's more than missing the mark. Sin is rebellion. In fact, Greg Gilbert in his book, What is the Gospel, actually says, sin's not just missing the mark. Sin is turning to shoot the king. That's our hearts apart from Jesus. And this passage is showing us not just the sinfulness of Barabbas, 
This passage is showing us the sinfulness of you and the sinfulness of me. And if you minimize sin, if you make sin just a little mistake, then you're going to miss and you're going to minimize the amazing grace that's given to you in the gospel. If you miss not just the beauty of the righteousness of Jesus, but you miss the ugliness of your sin, then you're going to miss the glory and the grace and the beauty of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, see the sinfulness this morning of your own heart. Confess the ugliness of your own rebellion. Israel that day couldn't see their sin. They were blind to their blindness. They were guilty. They were the ones guilty. And that's why they couldn't see their Messiah. That's why they even demanded that he be put to death. But maybe my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit in his kindness would show us our sin. That he would open the eyes of our heart. That we would not only see the glory and the beauty of Jesus that's incomparable to anything in this world, but we would see the ugliness of our sin. That we would look and see the ugliness of Barabbas and we would see ourselves. And our desperate need for a Savior. So this morning, see the sinlessness of Jesus. See the sinfulness of yourself. And finally, see and savor Jesus, our substitute. See and savor Jesus, our substitute. When you, when you read this story and, and you look at the details, it, it seems like there is a, a war going on. There's a wrestling with different desires in this passage. You see, you see Pilate, he sees the sinlessness of Jesus. He sees that, that Jesus is innocent, that he's not guilty. If there's a judgment in this court, it should be not guilty over Jesus. And he desires to release Jesus. Yet his desire is not greater than the desire of the Jews. His desire is not nearly as great as the desire of the crowds because they shout, crucify, crucify him. Over and over and over again. The, it says it twice in the original language, crucify, crucify him. But really that's just saying it happened again and again and again, that the, the, the repetition was continuous. Their shouts happened again and again. The relentlessness of their hearts demanded that Jesus be put to death. But the relentlessness of their hearts showed the relentlessness of their desire that Jesus be put to death. Even after Pilate responds, why? What evil has he done? They have nothing, no evidence. L listen to verse 23, though. After he says, what evil have they done? He they say this. 
It says this, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. You can sense it, right? Their hearts rage even more. Their desires demand even more. Verse 23 says their voices prevailed. Their voices prevailed. The cross was demanded for this king, this righteous king, and Pilate grants them their desires. Their desires won the day. Do you know what the name Barabbas means? Do you know what the name Barabbas literally means? It literally means son of the father. Son of the father. And as we hear the crowds crying out over and over and over and over again, crucify, crucify him. Crucify, crucify him, crucify, crucify him, crucify, crucify him. Their hearts raging, demanding, urgently desiring that Jesus to be, to be put to death. Our hearts should start crying out, stop. Stop, you got the wrong son. Stop, you let the guilty one go free. You want the guilty one to go free. Jesus, the true Son of the Father, He is innocent. He is not guilty. You have the wrong Son of the Father. There's been a mix-up. Until you pull back the curtain and you realize that there's actually a greater desire than the, 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 the desire of Pilate. There's a greater desire, even a greater desire than the desire of the Jews. And that's the desire of the Father in heaven. Because remember when Jesus said back in Luke chapter 22, He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Nevertheless, not my desire, but Father, your desire be done. And do you know what we read in Isaiah 53, verse 10? It says this, in verse 10, not 4 to 6, verse 10, it says this, Yet it was the will, it was the will, the desire of the Father to crush him. It was the will, the desire of the Heavenly Father to crush his one and only Son. That's the good news of the Gospel. It pleased the Father to crush his one and only Son so that he would not crush you. It pleased the Father to crush His one and only Son so that sinners like you and me can become sons and daughters. See, verse 25, it's clearly about, verse, it's clearly about Pilate when you read it. It says, He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but He delivered Jesus over to their will. 
But it could easily be said the same thing about the Father in heaven. The Father released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but the Father delivered up Jesus over to his will. See, the story of Barabbas is the story of the gospel. It's the story of every forgiven sinner who has found hope in Jesus. Because in the gospel, the sinless Savior was crucified on a cross so that a sinful sinner like you could go free. The righteous king, the not guilty king, was delivered up on a cross so that you, the guilty, could be forgiven. So that you, the guilty, could be set free. So you, the guilty, could be treated as a son. So I just want to finish today by seeking to grasp the glory and the grace of the gospel together. For, for us to just stop and for a moment to see and savor our sinless Savior who died in our place. And, and maybe this morning for the first time, this is good news to you. Maybe for the first time, your heart will be made alive and you'll see the, sinless, the sinfulness of yourself and the sinlessness of Jesus. Or maybe today the Holy Spirit will make the old news of the gospel good news to you again. New news to your heart again. Four verses about what Christ has done for us. Isaiah 53 verse 4 through 6 says this, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our Sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was crushed for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did you notice that it wasn't for his transgressions? It wasn't for his iniquities that Jesus went to the cross. It was for our transgressions. It was our griefs, our sorrows, our iniquities. I think one thing that will help apply this truth to your heart is to read Isaiah 53, 4-6 in a personal way. Read it for yourself like this. Surely He has borne my grief and He has carried my sorrow. Yet I esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was crushed for my transgression. He was crushed for my Iniquity Upon him was the chastisement that brought me peace. And with his wounds, I am healed today. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But the Lord laid on him my iniquity. All of my iniquity laid on Jesus. It's not his sin. It's my sin that put Jesus on the cross. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some theologians have called this the great exchange because here's what happened at the cross. Jesus took all of my sin upon himself and I get all of his righteousness. That's the trade that took place in the cross. All of my sin upon Jesus and all his righteousness covering me. If we had to read it in light of our passage, Jesus was treated like he lived Barabbas' life so that Barabbas could be treated like he lived Jesus' life. That's what John MacArthur says about 2 Corinthians 5. Jesus was treated on the cross like he lived your life so that you could be treated like you lived his. So that the Father in heaven can see you perfectly righteous, not guilty forever. Or listen to Peter and what he tells us in 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. That's what happened at the cross. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Once for sins, at one time on the cross, Christ the righteous died for the unrighteous so that you might be with the Father forever. That means if Jesus did not die for you, did not take your place, you would not have eternal life with God. You would have eternal life in hell. But praise be to God that he did. Or listen, finally, to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10. You want a verse when you're facing a terrible situation? When you are facing the worst thing that could ever be imaginable to you? When you're facing sickness? When you're facing cancer? When you're facing loss or persecution or death? Literally, whatever this life could throw at you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-10 says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Brothers and sisters, the worst thing that could have happened to you that should have happened to you, will not happen to you, all because of Jesus. Think about that. The worst thing that could have happened to you, that should have happened to you, will not happen to you, you being destined to wrath, all because of Jesus, our substitute. Only because of Jesus, our substitute. What good news we are not destined for wrath. We are destined for life forever with Him. We sang it earlier. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned He stood, sealed my pardon with His blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, 
ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. That's good news this morning. Maybe this morning that's the first time that you've seen clearly, heard clearly the good news of the gospel. That yes, you are sinful. But a sinless Savior, Jesus Christ, came and lived a perfect life that you could never live. And then died a sinner's death in your place that you deserve to die. And then on the third day rose again victoriously so that you could be forgiven forever of your sin, of every sin, and covered in the complete righteousness of Jesus. Maybe this morning's the first time that you've heard that good news. If you would just repent of your sins and run to Jesus, all your sin would be taken away in the sun and all his righteousness would be covered, covering you forever. This is the good news of the gospel. It's good news for every single person in here today. Whether it's the first time it's been good news or whether you've been a Christian for a hundred years. And this news has grown old to you. It's good news for everybody you could share it with today. It's good news for everyone in this neighborhood. It's good for everyone who lives near you, who works with you, who goes to class with you. It's the good news that never grows old. It's the good news for every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's the best news that will never grow old for all eternity. For all eternity, the saints will sing again and again, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would do what only your Holy Spirit can do. That, that, Lord, you would pull back the blinders to our eyes. Your word says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see the beauty, the truth of the gospel. But this morning, I pray, Lord, that for all of us, you would say, let there be light that we might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That in light of the gospel, we would see, yes, our sinfulness, the, the, the reality of our rebellion, how we are just like Barabbas. We're murderers, we're rebels. We're robbers who have robbed you of your glory. But Lord, thank you that you did not leave us in our sins. Thank you did not leave us in our rebellion. But Lord, you sent your one and only Son. Your one and only Son who, who Lord, lived a sinless life. And who became a sinless substitute in our place who went to a sinner's cross, a cross that we deserved, but that, Lord, He took because of grace, because of the great love with which He loved us. 
Father, we pray that we would, you would open our eyes to see our sinfulness and his sinlessness. And that, Lord, we would be overwhelmed by the grace and the love of the cross. That, Lord, what should have happened, what could have happened, will never happen to your people because your wrath was poured out on your Son in our place. Lord, we were not destined for wrath because your wrath was poured out on him. And because he rose again, Lord, we are raised to newness of life where our sins are taken care of and we are covered in his righteousness. So, Lord, help every single person in here, whether someone came in not believing in Jesus or those who have been believers for decades, Lord, would you make the good news good again? That old news that has become grown old in our hearts, Lord, would you make it new in our hearts that we might rejoice in Jesus, our sinless substitute, our perfect Savior. Lord, would you do this for the glory of your name and for the joy of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.